work of wholeness, okay? So I want to talk about that more today. And this is coming from a real place uh, of, of just experiencing what the Lord wants to do in terms of wholeness. So uh, if you would have your Bibles ready, we're going to have a lot of scriptures. Um, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians 2 if you're, um, if you're um, in the Passion Translation. If you're not, good luck trying to follow because this I love the way this says this. And we're going to be in Psalm 139, Ephesians 1. So if I forget to tell you at the end today, go ahead and make this, this little mental note. I challenge us this week to read Psalm 139. Get in that chapter. I'm going to be talking a lot about that this, uh, today is Psalm 139. And then next week we're going to really hit Ephesians 1, the prayer of wisdom and revelation. So maybe we can start our prayer series on that because it's, it is truly a prayer as Ephesians 1. So anyway, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 I love what Jake said earlier, and it's so true, it's so practical, it's, it's, it's real, is that a lot of times we're waiting on somebody else to respond in order for us to respond. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're standing beside somebody in worship, we're like, man, I don't, I don't want to lift my hands because it looks weird, right? Or it's, it's uncomfortable, and I, I wish they would break out in worship so I could break out, right? We're all waiting on that permission. And I love when he said that, and I thought, I had this thought. Uh, a lot of times we're waiting on other people to respond. I think we need to actually understand that creation is waiting on us to respond. That's right. That's right. Turn that thing around. The Bible says in Romans 8 that creation is groaning, waiting for the unveiling of sons. So that next time you feel, oh, I'm waiting on my neighbor to, to lift their hands or I'm waiting on them to worship, Turn that thing around. Well, creation's actually waiting on you to worship. Because right. worship's where we come alive. Right. Worship's where we behold him as in a mirror, and then we see who he is, and then we're transformed to be just like him. That's right? right? Yeah. So turn that thing around next time you, you feel that push of the enemy, like, oh, just uh, I'm waiting on him. No, actually, let's be encouraged that creation is waiting on you uh-huh. to come alive. Yeah. Okay? Y'all, y'all getting that? Yeah. Okay. So let's read Colossians chapter 2. You notice that I'm sitting down. I've really enjoyed sitting down and teaching the last couple of weeks. So we'll see, how, we'll see if I stay seated. We'll be taking bets today. How many bet that Robbie will get out of his seat? Exactly. Y'all know me too well. Okay, so verse 9 and 10 out of the Passion Translation, it says, um, For he, this is Jesus, is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. Living in you. Come on, somebody say, he's living in me. And our own completeness is now, at this very present moment, it was yesterday, it still is now, found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. I love that. So we're going to... We're going we're gonna to really keep hitting that verse because the point I want to make is, is that I, wanna, I, want you to, I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to get this in your heart. I want you to let this just resonate in your spirit. And it, it is this. You are already whole in him. You are already whole in him. If this is true, if our own completeness is found in him, then you are already whole in him. So that means that I don't work full for fullness. I actually work from fullness, right? I work from a place of knowing that he lives in me, and if he is whole, 
then if he lives in me and I'm defined by who he is, not by what I'm going through, by circumstances and things like that, he defines who I am. That means that I am actually whole. And, and the challenge in life for us is, 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 coming, is, is discovering the truth of, of how we are actually whole. That, that is the challenge for all of us today. If I were to summar, summarize what, what would be the thing that stands in the way is, is, I talked about last week, two things. One's consequences, two's sin. Seeing sin being a wrong mindset about who he is and who we are to him. Hemartia, what the Bible would call hemartia. Hemartia blinds us, sin blinds us from knowing the truth. John 8, Jesus says this. You guys know this verse. You shall know the truth, and the truth. truth shall set you. Okay? That word truth is, is the term aletheia in the Greek. It's, it actually means the highest truth. You'll know the highest truth, and that truth will set you free. Let me say it this way. You'll know what he knows to be true. You'll know what Jesus knows to be true. You'll see what Jesus sees, and then that will set you free. So we're in the battle of truth and higher truth. Okay, let me put it this way. The truth is, is that the economy's a wreck right now. Inflation and, you know, just, we could just go on and on. The economy's a wreck, but the higher truth is, is that he shall provide all of my needs according to his riches in glory. There's a truth, but then there's a higher truth. Right? And we all are dealing with that. We're, we're, the enemy's trying to cause us to see on the outside, well, this is going on, that's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong, the government, the politics, the, the, my friends, my, me, all of these things that can often be around us on the outside. And Jesus says, hey, listen, pay attention to me. The truth of who I am in you is I am whole, and I'm wanting to manifest that wholeness in you. You'll know the truth. You'll know what I know to be true. You'll see what I see to be true, the highest truth, and that truth will make you free. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, thank you, Olivia. Olivia's amen in me. She hears this message all the time. We're sitting in, uh, at Walmart the other day waiting on groceries, and I'm preaching to her about this stuff, and she's like, that's good, Dad, that's good. <laughs> so thank you. She's always encouraging me. Okay, I'm going to read a few things to you, so... Uh, just sit tight for a minute. I'm not going to have you turning just yet in your Bibles. I want to read some stuff. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a writer. Uh, I come alive, really. I, I get stirred up every time I write. Uh, it's one of the gifts that the Lord's given me. I feel like I'm a better writer than a teacher, so I'm going to read some things to you. So if you can, just try to engage your mind here for a second. I write, in my mind, the work of manifest wholeness is where Abba... Abba Father, by his spirit, uproots any toxic thoughts concerning his nature. Let me say that again. In my mind, the work of manifest wholeness, we're talking about wholeness today, is where Abba, the Father, by his spirit, uproots any toxic thoughts that we have about him. If you didn't hear the teaching last week, I, I encourage you to go back. I talked about Hemartia, what the Bible would call sin. The wages of sin is death. Uh, we, it's over 100 times in the Bible. It's, it, we need to understand what sin is. 
Sin is toxic thoughts concerning the Father. It's wrong paradigms and perspectives of who Abba Father is. Sin is at cussing, drinking, lying, stealing. Those are acts of a deeper issue of what we believe to be true about him. We act out of what we think. Amen? We live from the inside out, right? That's the kingdom. We live from the inside what we think to be true. We manifest it in our life, in our relationships, in the way we treat one another. If you don't know you're loved, you won't love rightly. Right? That's why Jesus said, love as you've been loved. Right? You only love to the degree that he loves when you know that he loves you with an everlasting love. You'll never love with an everlasting love unless you know that he loves you with an everlasting love. Right? It's the mirror image. We, 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 we live out what we think to be true about who we are and who he is. Right? So, okay. So, he upro- the, the work of holiness is where Abba by his spirit uproots any toxic thoughts concerning his nature. Keyword, toxic thoughts. We're going, to talk, we're going to go after this today. Father, by the Holy Spirit, then plants in us a new mind. One that receives, one that can receive the truth, the aletheia of who he is and who we are. The work of wholeness is where he uproots any toxic thoughts. Then he puts in us a new mind concerning who he is. As we take on his faith, what he sees, what he knows, we are then transformed. At this point, when this begins to happen, we begin to display what the Bible would say through, the, through, through John. As he is, so are we in this world. Let me say it this way. As he thinks, so we think in this world. As he knows the Father and who he is in his relationship with the Father, as he is, so are we in this world. See, see, here's what we have to understand. Jesus didn't come to give you a relationship with the Father. He came to give you his relationship with the Father. This is key. This is really a hinge on which everything, I guess I said it that way. It's a foundation on which everything hinges. He didn't just come to give you a generic relationship. He came to give you his relationship, right? Okay. I keep writing, I said, in Psalm 24, David said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Although I know David is speaking of the physical earth as his dwelling place, there's a deeper truth. The truth is this, we are the earth. We belong to the Father. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I am the Lord's in the fullness thereof. That's the way we could say it. The deeper truth is the earth is the Lord's. Yes, it is. The earth belongs to the Lord. But a deeper truth, applicable truth, is that you are the Lord's in the fullness thereof. See, we don't make Jesus Lord. We just receive the truth that he is already Lord. Right? People say, I'm going to make Jesus Lord. Well, if you read Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Ephesians 1, he already is Lord. Faith is just us actually agreeing to what is already true, right? right. It's, our faith doesn't make something true that's not true. It's just us coming alive to, it's always been this way, yeah. right? Where's the, I told the story, where's the bread? I can't find the 35 bread. The guy goes, it's right over your shoulder. I was standing in the presence of what already existed, this bread. I couldn't find it. I needed him to say, there it is. And I go, oh, gosh, it's right there. Typical guy. Jesus goes, I'm already Lord. Why don't you just live your life in alignment with what is already true? 
Come on, man. Your faith isn't strong enough to make him Lord. He's been there, done that. He's already Lord. Amen? Okay. Although I know that David is speaking of the physical earth as his dwelling place, there's a deeper truth. We are the earth. We belong to the Father. Always have. Always will be his beloved. We just forget sometimes. We just forget. Deuteronomy 32, 18. Can you, can you throw that up there, Kaya? This is a, a salute to my dad. He loves King James Version. There you go, Dad. You're welcome. Of the rock. They didn't have this in the Passion Translation yet. Otherwise, I would have put that up. Brian Simmons has got to get busy writing Deuteronomy. But until then, we'll, we'll show him the KJV. Of the rock that begot thee. You are unmindful, thou art unmindful, and you have, hast, sorry, it's hard for me to say it, hast forgotten God that formed thee. Moses is saying, listen, this is the truth. God formed you, God made you, he begot you, you were not born from Adam, you were born from Abba. But you forget because of circumstances, because of sin, the unredeemed mind, because of circumstances, things going on around us, issues of life, we forget this sometimes, right? We don't see the higher truth. We don't see what's available in the spirit. And, and Moses says, you've forgotten this. And I love this, that word formed, I've told you this for the last two weeks. The word formed is the word H-U-L in the Hebrew. It actually means to dance with or to spin over you. What? God dances over you. God spins over you. He loves you so much. He delights in you and dances over you. But we forget this sometimes. We forget where we come from. We forget whose we are. We forget who we are. But Jesus says, I've come to remind you. As I am, so are you. See, Jesus didn't come just to die for us. He came to die as us and to show us what it means when a a man filled with the Spirit of God, comes alive to who they are in the Father. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We can't say, well, that's Jesus and I'm over here. No, no, the relationship that he has with the Father, he's given you that relationship. Yeah. Are y'all hearing me? Yeah. Olivia is. Is anybody else hearing me this morning? Come on, man. <laughs> we were made to burn, but sometimes we become entangled with thoughts, toxic thoughts that are not flammable. You're made to burn with fire. You're made to come alive, as Jake was talking about. You're made to sing songs of freedom. You're made to know the truth. This is how you were made. But sometimes we become entangled with toxic thoughts that are not flammable. That's sin. Toxic thoughts, anything. We'll talk about here in a minute that Paul said exalts itself against the knowledge of him. That's sin. Anything that exalts itself against the knowledge, knowing what he knows to be true, seeing what he sees to be true. Anytime you can't see what he sees to be true and know to be true, that's sin. It got really quiet just now. But that's okay. Listen, this is not a negative thing. This is a thing that, listen, there's a guy who can fix it. Jesus. He can fix it, right? All right. For this reason... Because we forget, because we don't know who we are, we don't know who he is, and we act out of that. For this reason, Abba, by his spirit, is coming to his earth. He's coming to you. He's coming to his temple. He's coming to those he formed in his image to unveil himself to and through us. 
We may often forget who formed us, who dances and spins over us in delight, but the potter has not lost touch. We are spinning on the Father's wheel, and he's forming us in his care. We're on the potter's wheel, and I had this thought this week. If we're on the potter's wheel, and we're spinning, and he's watching over us, he's forming us. He's removing those toxic thoughts. Oh, that's a thought that Jesus didn't have about me. That's the thought that, no, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He's working those lumps out. He's forming us. He's shaping us. As he is, he sees his son. He goes, oh, they're looking a lot like my son right now. Creation's groaning for them to be formed just like Jesus, right? Creation's groaning and waiting. Oh, they, the, the groans are, are rising in the earth. Their sons and daughters coming alive to who they are and who I am in them. I think for this reason, I tend to think that the potter's wheel is as much about the spin as it is about his care. Perhaps seeing the spin, how he delights over us, how he dances over us, is what awakens our hearts to perfect love. Do you know you're loved? Do you know you're loved? Let's go deeper. Do you know that you're loved with the same love that the Father loves Jesus? Right? Okay. All right, so this is the Father's love. This is his care. I had this thought um, when I was thinking about this, about two dynamics of the Lord uh, working this manifest wholeness in us. And it was the, the topic of uprooting and planting. Uprooting and planting. And because uh, I know personally, I've experienced this lately, probably over the last three to four years, I've experienced some uprooting and some planting. How many in this room would say, would be honest enough to say that I've experienced that in my walk with the Lord, an uprooting of toxic thoughts and a planting of, of his thoughts, right? We're always on that journey. Repentance is not a one-time deal. It's a continual deal. It's always renewing our mind to think like him, right? Metanoia, the Bible would call metanoia. Repentance is a constant thing, right? And, and so we'll talk more about repentance maybe next week, but I've personally been experiencing an uprooting and a, and a planting in my own life. Misty knows this to be true, my, even my children. Um, two things specifically, and I wanted just to share this to, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Two things specifically the Lord has uprooted, some thoughts I had about his nature. Was Number one was that G, uh, the Father, while Jesus was on the cross, was that the father turned his face away from Jesus. And this is a, a fairly common teaching in the, in the church, is that when, the, when Jesus took on sin, that the father, because he cannot, Habakkuk says, there's a verse that uh, if you just read a, a small portion of that verse, you'll buy into this, that the father turned his face away. It says that, Habakkuk, I think it's chapter 2 maybe, um, it says that the father does not look on sin favorably but but because that verse is out of context preachers have taught that God does not look on sin and it's become a teaching in the in the body of Christ that that when Jesus was on the cross because he became sin he took on that sin that God the father had to turn his face away how many's ever heard that teaching before that thought 
Okay, thank you for being honest. Robbie, why are you telling me this? I tell you this because what that produced in me was, okay, if the father would turn away from Jesus, who is a, a man who walked perfectly without sin, if, he, if the father being so good, but yet would not look on sin, if he turned his, way, his face away from Jesus, we're talking about Jesus, if he did that to Jesus, what does he do to me? Now, I didn't know that. I would never would have said it that way before, but now I'm seeing when he uprooted that thought and he began to change my mind, I began to get healed. Because what happened was in me, he showed me this. This was him showing me this, that when I believed that lie, it caused me to pull away from him. I would even say that, hey, we're called to be, come boldly into the throne. But inside, in my, even my subconscious, I didn't know it. But in me was, a, it was, an, was an, I call it a duplicity. I said something with my mouth, but I didn't believe it in my heart. Because I believed the Father would turn his, way from, his face away from Jesus, what's he going to do to me? Obviously, he's going to turn away. Right? And that, began, that set in me, in my heart, in the deepest parts of me, and I, I found myself pulling away. I would get close to the Lord in seasons, and, and then I would pull away because I thought he sees things in me. Now, if I'm living perfect, if I've got a really good day and I'm killing it, I haven't, I haven't cussed, lied, cheated, or steal, you know, stolen, then he loves me. But what happens when I do one of two or three or four of those things? He's going to turn his face away from me. I didn't know it. He began to uproot that thought. Number two was the thought that, G, that the father killed Jesus. Now that, that sounds, some of you, now some of y'all never heard this before and I, I want you to come and lay hands on me. Like Olivia's never heard this before and we, I've taught Olivia otherwise. But for me, I, I, I grew up thinking that the father killed Jesus. And in order for God, the father to forgive sin, he had to send Jesus to the earth and kill him. And we take Isaiah 53 where Isaiah says, we esteem him stricken by God. We esteemed him stricken by God. He wasn't stricken by God, but we thought he was. And because we thought he was, if he's going to turn his face away from, from his own son who lived without sin, the perfect man, right, what's he going to do to me? Inside of me was a pull away, a pull back, a withdrawal. When I would start to get close, he began to uproot this thought in me, guys. But then, in his goodness, he began to plant new, a new mind in me. The soon followed planting is where he, by way of relationship with us, he fills that space, that space that he's uprooted with a healthy perspective of his nature, thus giving me permission and freedom to be who I'm created to be. Notice that I'm talking about uprooting and planting. When I think of these words, I think of uh, Jeremiah. It says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, it the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. He says, your ministry is one to uproot and to plant. You can read it. Your ministry is to uproot and to, uplant, and, and to plant. That's your ministry. Jeremiah, I'm calling you as a weeping prophet to speak and to uproot some thoughts that the nation has about me. And I'm going to plant some new thoughts. Jeremiah is the one that prophesied, I'll put a new heart in you. 
I'll, get, I'll give you a new mind. The new covenant is a new mind. He's giving you a new mind. That's so good. This is Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.10. That's his, that's his ministry was to uproot and to plant. I think that's why when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Who'd they say? John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah. People thought Jesus was a reincarnated Jeremiah because his ministry, I think, was to uproot and to plant. The ministry of Holy Spirit in you is to uproot any toxic thought you have about him that causes you to pull away and to plant a new thought that promotes intimacy in relationship. This is the heart of the Father. He loves relationship. He loves sharing in life with you. That is the essence of God. God is a God of relationship. He's a God of, of drawing close. When Abba, by his spirit, uproots wrong ideas concerning his nature, we must expect and allow a planting to follow. If not, our condition becomes worse. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. If if you don't, uh, again, I'm reading this in the Passion, so could you have that, could you put that up, Rekiah? Verse 43, this is Jesus. He says, when a demon is cast out of a person, it roams around a dry region looking for a place to rest, but never finds it. Verse 44. Then it says, I'll return to the house I moved out of. And so it goes back only to find that the house is vacant, uprooted, warm, and ready for it to, be, to move back in. So it goes looking for seven other demons more evil than itself, and they all enter together to live there. Then the person's condition becomes much worse than it was in the beginning. This describes what will also happen to the people of this evil generation. I told you last week the word for evil, one of the words we, Jesus uses in other translations is the word wicked. Wicked is where we get wicker. We have wicker furniture, right? It's, wicker is, is entangled material, right? That's wicker, and that's where we get wicked. It's twisted ideas. It's toxic thoughts that we have concerning who he is. So Jesus goes after this. Now, some of us can take this literally, and I want to hit just a second on. I want to challenge us when we read the Bible to not just read it literally, but I want, to, I want us to understand that we all know, let me say this, Jesus taught in parables, right? We know that he taught many, many parables. When he talked about the kingdom, he said it was like seed, it's like yeast, it's like, you know, it's like this, it's like that. In other words, he was speaking, in, in, he was speaking metaphorically. He, wasn't, he didn't say the kingdom is a seed, the kingdom is yeast. He said it's like this, right? We know that. Jesus' method of teaching was to use an image to point to a deeper truth. He wouldn't just tell you the truth. He would actually tell you something that pointed to that truth. Right? Y'all get that, right? That's a parable. That's how a parable works. So I think it's wise for us when we read the Bible that we need to approach it with the same um, 
the same notion that the Lord, when he speaks through scripture, it's not just for us to take literally, but there's actually something that scripture is trying to tell us that we can apply in our own lives, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, all, all the scripture is, is ordained, it's, it's breathed on by God for instruction, reproof, and rebuke that every man may be thoroughly equipped for good works, yeah. right? In other words, all scripture is to be applied to your life. So when you're reading the Old Testament and you're like, what's going on? What's all this stuff going on? And we're going to talk about this here in a second. Like, there's even stuff in the Bible that for the longest time, I wouldn't go there. Like, people are killing each other. God's telling people to kill each other. And I'm like, the Abba revealed in Jesus is not one who tells people to kill each other. I mean, Jesus went as far to say, bless those who persecute you. So did, I have to ask the question, did Abba change from Old Testament to New Testament? These are hard questions that I'm asking my own, my heart. But I think there's some metaphor in the Old Testament that if we'll look past literalism and into, hey, there's a story. I'm going to insert myself into this story. There's some things that he's wanting to slay and uproot in me that war against the knowledge of him. Yeah. We're going to look at here in a minute. David hits this thing in Psalm 139. He's talking about a toxic mindset, and he uses the word wicked men. He prays. He says, God, would you come and slay the wicked men, those who profane your name and speak ill against you? Either David was jacked up and thought God killed people, or there's a deeper truth that David, a man after God's own heart, knew that we can see that actually God's wanting to uproot any toxic, wicked men thoughts that we have concerning his nature. Because yeah, Psalm 139 is what I call a psalm of surrender. And David could surrender to the Father because he knew that the Father was good. He knew the Father loved intimacy and relationship. And he didn't want anything in David in his heart to keep him from drawing near to him in relationship. And David's picking up on this frequency. He's like, listen, the Lord, listen Lord, would you slay the wicked men? David's picking up on the frequency of there's something in me. There's a wicked man in me that is causing me to pull back from his intimate care that he thinks about me day and night, but because I have this inward duplicity, I think he's actually different than he says he is. He's different than the Abba revealed in Jesus. There's something in me that's causing me to pull back, like when I believed that the Father killed Jesus, when I thought the Father looked away from Jesus, that was actually causing me to pull back and not surrender. God said, I'm coming after that. I am the greater Jeremiah. I'm going to uproot any toxic thought you have about me that keeps you from drawing near, and I'm going to plant a new mind in you. I'm going to give you the mind of Christ. The key of Christ was that he, there was no shame, there was no fear in him drawing close to the Father. That was the key of Jesus. Are you hearing me? The key of Jesus' life was he knew that he was fascinated. He knew that the Father was fascinated with him. He knew that the Father saw him as a son, fully loved. And he says, just as he is, so are you in this world. What would happen when sons and daughters begin to say, God, would you come uproot anything in me that is toxic, that is telling me you're one, you're another way than the Abba revealed in Jesus. Would you come and uproot those thoughts and plant in me a great thought? Are you with me? 
This is what Jesus is talking about. Now, we take this literally and we say, well, okay, so uh, casting out demons, right? We, we, so, so we read this and, 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 and he says this. Let's read this again real quick. This verse 43. Put this back up, Rakai. When a demon is cast out of a person, it roams around a dry region looking for a place to rest but never finds it. Then it says, I'll return, I'll return to the house I've moved out of. Somebody say house. house. Somebody say, I am, the house. I am the house. Right? We're moving past literalism into metaphoric talk here. Jesus is painting a picture. I'll return to the house I've moved out of, and, and so it goes, and so it goes back only to find that the house is vacant, uprooted. How many's ever pulled up a tree before or a plant or something out of the ground, right? There's a big gaping hole. Jake, you know this. There's a big hole. Either you fill it back with dirt or you replant something, right? This is what Jesus is hitting at. It goes back and only to find that the house is vacant, warm, and ready for it to move back in. Verse 45, so it goes looking for seven other demons more evil than itself. And they all enter together to live there. Then the person's condition becomes much worse than it was in the beginning. This describes what will also happen to the people of this evil, wicked, twisted up generation. Now here's what happens in me. Here's what happened. If I did not allow the Lord to plant a new thought in me after he uprooted the thought, those two thoughts I just talked to you about, then it actually becomes worse than before. I've seen this happen a lot. There's, there's this movement in the church. Many of you have heard about this movement. It's been coined, the word is deconstruction. How many has ever heard that term before? It's, it's becoming, they call it a movement now. And, and what it is, just real quick, you can look it up later, called deconstruction. And deconstruction is where you're deconstructing your faith, i.e., things that you believed about God and his nature growing up. And there's a lot of negativity around deconstruction because what's happening is, and this is what I'm talking about with the uprooting, is when deconstruction happens apart from the planting that's to follow, it actually becomes worse for that person. Yeah. I, I've experienced this myself. If I don't allow Abba to give me his mind, if I just let him uproot things and then I become a do not, do not, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not this, he's not that, he's not, it's all built on negatives and there's not a positive, he is, then it becomes more dangerous than before, deconstruction. That's why I like to say it this way, I, I wholeheartedly believe in deconstruction, but I also wholeheartedly believe in reconstruction. And that's what's happening in this generation. Abba, by his goodness, by his heart for you to draw close, he is uprooting things that we believed about his nature that caused us to draw back. But Abba, equally, in his love and mercy and goodness and kindness, is planting things in us that will then begin to bloom and blossom in our life. An electrical charge, we all know, takes a negative and a positive for there to be a charge. The same in us. When God uproots something negative, he plants something positive for there to be sons and daughters coming alive to who he is. There's a charge in the earth right now. There's an electrical charge, and he's doing it by uprooting and by planting. 
Beloved, I'm telling you, if you, get, if you find yourself in a season where he's uprooting, be rejoice, be glad. But also expect and allow a planting to come right behind it. He is the greater Jeremiah. He's the prophet who comes to uproot and to plant his mind in you. Because he wants you bad. He wants you closer than the skin on your bones, man. <laughs> That's who he is. That's why he said it's not good for man to be alone because God wasn't alone. It's not good. It's not how man was created to be alone because I'm not alone. I'm not sitting on a throne all by myself, a a distant narcissistic deity by myself on a distant throne that he's unreachable. No, he comes to us and he kneels down and washes our feet. My brother said he's rightfully high, but he's willfully low. (laughs) Ryan, that's messed me up ever since you said that three or four years ago. He's, he's uh, rightfully high, but he's willfully low. This is the Abba revealed in Jesus. This is what he's been doing in me. I'm not going to make it through all my notes. I, I'm, I'm over on time. I'm, I, well, I think the worship team went over, so it's your fault. But anyway... <laughs> We're moving past literalism, and I think what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about what Paul would call in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he called a doctrine of demons. He's, he, he's, Paul is talking about there's going, to be, there's going to be a deception in the body, and it's going to be a doctrine of demons. Jesus talks about demons being cast out of the house. And if it's not filled, if the house isn't filled, isn't, if there's not a planning to follow, then it becomes worse than before. Right? Jesus is talking about the doctrine of demons, which is the indoctrination that the Father is different than, than what is revealed in Jesus. It's a toxic thought concerning the nature of God. When Jesus spoke of driving out demons, I believe he was speaking of driving out wrong perceptions and ideas about his father. This is why in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he gives an apostolic charge when he sends out his apostles. Matthew 10, verse 8, he gives them four things to do. He says, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, heal the sick, and cast out devils. Maybe that's literal. I'm sure it is. Yes, I believe God's called us to heal the sick. Absolutely. I believe he's called us to cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Yes. But I believe there's also a deeper truth, a mystery, that he's calling us to cleanse the inward duplicity. Leprosy is done. Leprosy is leprosy because there's an inner working. There's an inner disease that's working itself out. What you see on the outside is actually indicative of what is going on on the inside of that person's body. That's the actions of sin. Leprosy points to the actions of sin. What is going on around us is how we think about the Father and how we think about ourselves. That's leprosy. We're called to cleanse that thing. Man, I think the apostolic charge on the body of Christ is to cleanse the emperor duplicity, raise the spiritually dead, heal the sick of heart, and to cast out the devil of wrong perception of who Abba Father is. 
This is why we need apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20 says that the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets. You'll find when you hang out with prophets, you know what they love to do? They love to uproot. (laughs) How many have any friend, prophet friends? I know several. And they're going to speak about it. The thing that the pastor won't say, the prophet's going to say it. They're sinning the camp, they're going, they're going to say, I'm going for it because I'm here to uproot that thing. That's the, that's the prophet. That's the prophetic anointing. Jake was flown in a minute ago. He was calling out those things, those things that cause us to pull back and not lift our hands. That was the prophetic anointing on Jake to say, hey, we've got to deal with this. We've got to let him uproot this thing. That is the prophetic anointing. And then you know what the apostle does? You know what the apostles love to do? They love to plant. I love to plant. I've always told Misty, if I was, if I was uh, not in the, doing this type of ministry, you know what I would do? I'd build houses. I love to build. I love to plant. I like to take something that's not there. I like to take a level ground and build something on it that nobody's ever thought about. The prophet and the apostle work together to uproot wrong ideas, sin, hamartia. And then the apostle comes along and says, you know what? There's got to be something put back in that ground. If not, it's going to be worse than before. Right? I think a lot of revivals is this. When we see revivals break out in cities, we see this, we've seen this a lot throughout history. You can read about revivals. And what happens, God begins to sweep over a region his spirit begins to be poured out, and sin gets exposed, wrong ideas, wrong, even, even some of the actions that flow from that, yes, but wrong ideas, God begins to uproot, and if there's not a planting by an apostle or an apostolic anointing, it actually gets worse than before. Sure. Cities will become desolate after. I heard a guy talking about Brownsville Revival in Florida. How that God poured out his spirit for many, many years, but because there was not a planting back in that area, the city is worse than it was before. This is why we need the, the prophetic and the apostolic working in the body of Christ. This, can, this thing cannot be only pastor-driven. It has to be apostles and prophets working together. Well, let me say it even more specifically to include you. We have to think apostolically. We have to think prophetically. We can't come here. I'm about to preach on something here, Kyle. We can't come to church expecting just our needs to be met. We've done this, guys. We've done this where it's been come to church. I hope the pastor can meet my needs because that's what a pastor does. They're anointed for that, and we need that. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's Jesus, but because it's been only pastor-driven and we've not had a planting, we've not had an uprooting, we've had people coming to the, to the body with, with, with pacifiers in their mouth and bibs and going, feed me, feed me, feed me. That's what Paul would call immaturity. You're still on the milk, man. You're supposed to be on the meat. That's what, that's what babies do, right? They're all about need. We got a dad back here holding a baby. They're all about they need. They got to have and want milk and my food. Seriously, we got, a, we got churches, and I'm, I'm not saying we're exempt from it. I mean, I, I, I see a lot of childishness in me, so I'm saying this is me as well, right? 
But we have a lot of people still on the milk, and God said, man, I've, I've, I've called you to be a mature son who manifests the glory of Jesus in society, whether you're pouring concrete, whether you're selling cars, whether you're cutting hair, whether you're preaching, prophesying, teaching, I don't care, painting a car, whether you're lifting at the, at the gym, I don't care what you do, do it unto me and be a son fully alive in me. That's maturity, fully receiving what I say about you. Let me tell you, if you come, i got to give this warning. I, I owe it to you to give you this. If you come to 127 to drink the milk, then you probably won't last here. <laughs> David's laughing at me back here. If you come to 127 looking for your needs to be met, you're not going to last. You might stay, but you'll be miserable the whole time. I'm serious. I've seen it. This has happened a lot. I have people come here and they're like, oh, I love this place. I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> not that we have it perfect. I'm not saying that. But we've bought into this apostolic prophetic thing. And I know that Abba has called this house to uproot toxic thoughts about him and to plant new thoughts. The prophetic and the apostolic. And that house, yeah. beloved, that house. Now, let me say this too. We need pastors to come along and help. Plant. When you plant a tree, you don't just leave it, right? That's right? You don't just walk away, okay, the tree's good. No, you nurture that tree. Uh -huh. You help that tree grow into its full potential. Yeah. That's pastors. Yeah. I'm pointing to David because he's a pastor. Yeah. When I walk into a room, I, I think differently than him. Yeah. And thank God I do. Because if we had a bunch of Robbies, we'd all be a little bit mad and mean. <laughs> that this thing ain't moving along in maturity. And David's like, oh, they love the body. Just, you know, they're awesome. Mom's the same way, you know. You go over her house, she cooks you at 19 meals and, oh, have a seat. And I'm just like, I mean, you know, I, I don't think that way. I mean, Misty calls me, where are the kids? I'm babysitting the kids. Where are the kids at? Oh, oh I don't know. Oh, no, I, I think they're here on this premises somewhere. But I fake it. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, they're outside. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. I'm going to move along. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm... Okay, we'll, f we'll have to finish some of this next week. In other words, all of us have in some way at some time suffered wrong teachings, doctrines that gave birth to wrong paradigms and perspectives of the Father. We can point, it, we can point fingers at this or that. This leader, that leader, this church, that church. But we must see that this is truly a doctrine of demons. A doctrine of the evil one. The unredeemed mind. The mind that is contrary to the way Jesus sees, knows, and identifies with his father. This has been the fallen mindset since the beginning. But I feel like Abba... Is coming to us. He keeps coming to us in his goodness. He's saying, listen, do you know how I see the Father? Do you know how I see me, who I am? I want to put that mind in you. I want you to walk as I walk. 
as you are, so are we. I want you to have my mind. I want you to think like me.